So we're here. It is not just any old Sunday, although no Sunday is any old Sunday, really, unless you want it to be. But this week's extra special because it's, it's new series Sunday. There you go. Look at these. These guys are ready tonight. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. This is good. So we're starting a new teaching series all about the words of Jesus. Now, I, I, I don't know about you, but I believe that this Bible that we have is not just a book that was written thousands of years ago that has no relevance today. It is both living and active, right? It is God's word for us as relevant today as it has ever been. And like when we really engage with it, who knows that God always has something fresh for the season that we are in. I mean, here at C3 Church, we place the highest possible value we can on the word of God. We believe, as it says about itself, that it is God-breathed. That is, it is inspired. Every word in that is inspired by God. So it might have been written by human hands, but they had divine direction. And when we read it, we read about God's passion for us. Like our purpose that we can find when we join with him and his promises for us. It truly is everything we need for life and godliness. And it's through exploring and connecting with God's words that we will grow and become more like Jesus. Because I'm sure many of you know that we tend to start to sound like the words that we hear. So if you you see this all the time, people move to another country, and over a long period of time, um, they might start to sound like the people who are in that country. So they might develop a bit of an accent, or they might lose some of their original accent. And um, we've got some American friends in the church. It's great to have American friends in the church because we've got an airbase nearby. So every couple of years, we get sort of a fresh wave uh, of, of, like, of Air Force guys who co- and girls who come along. And um, it's great to see because over a two-year period, they start to speak English more properly. Because they start to sound like what they're hearing. And um, I don't know, I'll let you in on a little secret. Some of you may be afflicted with this embarrassing thing as well, but um, when I speak to other people who have an accent, some of you got this as well, um, I, I start to, for some unknown reason, completely illogically, I start to speak back to them in the accent that they're speaking to me. I find this so embarrassing, and to be honest, I feel really embarrassed on their behalf, because they're probably sitting there thinking, I'm taking the mick, I'm mocking them, I'm mocking their heritage, and, and I just feel like, I just want you to let you know, if that happens to you, I am not mocking you, I cannot help it. Does anybody else suffer from this? Yeah? Good. Well, I looked this up, so you're not alone. It's called echolalia. There you go. Now, you've learned something. This is, you know, who said, every day is a school day, right? Echolalia. And it turns out, it's actually a sign of a high degree of empathy. So there you go. You can feel both embarrassed and smug at the same time. But we start to sound like that which we hear. And Jesus himself said that man shall not live by bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Just as my physical body, if I want to survive or I want to grow, requires me to consume physical fuel that we call food, so too does my spiritual being. If I want to survive or if I want to grow, it requires me to consume spiritual fuel. 
And the Bible says that these are, or that is, the Word of God. And there's a really important distinction I want to draw your attention to, is there is such a difference between surviving and thriving. Okay, So there are plenty of people in the world who don't have the luxury that we have. Most of us here today are not worried about where the next meal is coming from. We have food aplenty. There are some people who are in different parts of the world who are living in utter poverty and are literally wondering whether they're going to be able to eat. We, most of us in this room, don't have that problem. We have access to food pretty well when we want it. And so we don't find ourselves going to the point of starvation before we eat. We don't wait for weeks and weeks and weeks until we can't take it anymore and then like quit, have a quick gorge on food and then wait again until the next time we feel utterly desperate. We just don't do that. And yet, sometimes we approach our spiritual life just like that. So we'll wait until we're completely desperate, until we need a spiritual pick-me-up, when we can't take it any longer, and we'll like dip into the word, and we'll find something for the season or the situation we're going through, and we'll get what we need, and then we'll put it down, and then we'll wait until the next point when we're desperate. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want the word of God to be an optional extra in my life. I want it to be a key part of my daily life, a key ingredient in my spiritual diet. And if we're going to grow spiritually, it's got to be the case. We've got to get this into our lives. And in this series, we're going to spend the coming weeks focusing on just that, the words of God. Specifically, we're going to be looking at the words of God when he walked on this earth in human form, the words of Jesus. Now, before we start this series, I just want to encourage you that if you approach this series with the right heart and the right mind, this will be a solid investment for your future. I really mean that, and I don't say this lightly. I mean, Jesus said of his own words that they are trustworthy and they provide a firm foundation. In Luke 6, we read, he says, As for everybody who comes to me and hears my words, and puts them into practice, and that bit's key. We can't just be people who who hear the words of God. We've got to choose to apply them to our lives. He says, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be well-built. Now, you look at me and you're thinking, you're not well-built. Well, you're right. But spiritually, I want to be well-built. Because we all face storms in life. The storms are going to come. Maybe you're going through a storm right now. Maybe you're going through something that you didn't plan for. Or maybe if you're not going through something you didn't plan for now, I can guarantee you, that at some point you are going to go through something that you didn't plan for. But you see, if we choose to build our lives on the foundation of Jesus' words, then although we can't predict when the next storm will come, we can prepare for when it does. 
We can prepare for when it does. Because if we build our lives on this firm foundation, that when that storm comes, we might be shocked about it. But we don't have to be shaken by it. We're calling this series Red Letter People. You might be wondering, well, what does that mean? Well, we called it that because I don't know about your Bible, but my Bible has all the words of Jesus printed in red. Now, a little quick caveat. We don't believe here that any part of Scripture is better than any other part of Scripture. We're not trying to say that these are necessarily more important than anything else you can read in this book. But what we do want to do is just take a bit of time to focus on the words spoken by the very living and breathing God as he walks on this planet. Because we believe that when we apply them to our lives, and Jesus said so himself about his own words, it is going to build us up. And so we call it red letter people. And I find that interesting because in a background of black and white, in amongst all the ordinary goings on, the words of Jesus are called out front and center. Everything else that's going on, black and white, his words are red. They are literally the highlights. And it made me think, isn't that exactly what we are called to be? You see, we're not called to, to separate ourselves off from the world. We're not called to, to choose to sort of live life separate from everyone else like some sort of holy hermit. We are called to be salt and light in this earth. So what does that mean? It means we have to walk the balance between mixing with society and integrating with the world and yet remaining distinctive, standing out, to be the highlights it's, it's a sobering thought when I think this, but for you, it'll probably be the case too. I think most people here might be able to identify with this. That for some people in my life, I might be the only experience of Jesus that they have. And it's sobering because when I think about that, I can't help but think, when people see me, do they see Jesus? Or do they not see Jesus? And when people hear me, do they hear the words of Jesus? And Jesus' words have been highlighted for us in red, but I want to ask you this question. Imagine if the people in your world, at the end of their day, they were to look back on everything that had happened to them that day. Every conversation they'd had, every interaction they'd had, everything that they'd gone through that day. If they were to look back on it in bed at night before they go to sleep, my question to you is this. What would your world look like if those people, when they look back on their day, the highlights of their day were the words that you had spoken to them? Are we the highlights people here? And if we're going to be red letter people I think we have to do this. We can't just be people who hear Jesus' words. We can't just be people who act on Jesus' words, although both of those things are vitally important. We have got to be people who are speaking the words of Jesus. And we're going to start this week, we're going to start this series looking at exactly that, the power of our words. Are we the highlights people here? Are you ready? Yeah? Come on, let's do this. Our words have power. 
So it was with words that God spoke the very universe into existence. And it was with words that Jesus sometimes healed. Sure, sometimes he may have laid hands on people, but sometimes all he needed to do was speak and people would be healed. So he would say to the cripple, get up and walk, and the cripple would get up and walk. And it's not just Jesus as well. We can read later on in the Bible that Peter, when he comes across the beggar who had been lame all his life, says to him with just words for him to get up, and he gets up and he is healed. You see, our words have power. Proverbs 18 in the message paraphrase says this, words kill, words give life. They are either poison or fruit. You choose. Life and death, poison or fruit. Our words are going to have an impact. And it's up for us to decide whether that impact is going to be positive or negative. So we can use our words to encourage, or we can use our words to discourage. We can find opportunities to build people up with what we say, or we can find opportunities to pull people down. With what we say, we can bring unity, or we can bring division. Our words have impact. Here we talked already about whether the words we said would be the highlights of people's day. Well, let me ask it slightly differently. Just imagine this with me, if you will. I was thinking, what if somebody were to follow me around for the whole day, like a secret reporter, and everything I said, every little interaction that I had with anybody, any passing comment, any long conversation, every interaction I had with somebody, they were writing down. The times when I was on my own, I thought no one could hear me, they were writing down what I was saying. And then at the end of the day, they printed it out and they highlighted everything that I'd done and they gave it to me to read. Would I be proud of what I saw? Would I be proud of the way that I handled myself in that meeting at work? When I got defensive because someone had questioned me, and so I just went off and shot down every other good idea in the room? Would I be proud about the way I would argue with my wife before I go to work, or scream at my kids when I get home? Would I be proud about what I say in the car when no one else is around? You know, when, you know, there's always the guy that cuts you up on the way to work. It's always the guy that cuts you up. The self-interested, arrogant, ignorant piece of Audi driver. It's always an Audi driver. So I, a friend of mine at work drives an Audi. I say friend. Um, and I asked him, I said, when you bought this car, did it come with a license to drive like a tool? And he said No. But I totally don't believe him. It seems like everywhere you go, they're either not indicating, or they've got their lights on full beam, and it seems completely isolated to this one group of people. I've said enough, it's the Audi drivers. So no one could hear me when I get angry in the car on my own, so what does it matter? Well, our words bring life, or they bring death. So just because no one could hear me, let me ask you this question. What did it do for me? Did my words bring life to me. Proverbs 16 says, gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. You see, our gracious words are sweet to the soul, but not just to the person who is hearing them, but I believe they are sweet to the soul of the person who speaks them. 
So imagine if all those times, instead of being defensive, we were humble. Instead of being argumentative, we were cooperative. Instead of, I don't know, speaking words with anger, we, we spoke gently. Or when everybody else in the office was complaining about the way things are, we spoke positively about those in charge. I believe it's not just those people around us that would benefit. I believe that we would benefit too. What we say has an impact. And if we're honest, I think really we know that what we say has impact because often we can find ourselves knowing what the right thing to say is, but having to try so hard with everything we've got not to say the complete opposite of that. Now, I don't know, some people will struggle with this more than others. I struggle with this, so even if it's just to make me feel better about myself, who am I preaching to today? Right? The people who you have to try so hard to self-censor what's coming out of your mouth. So someone will say something, and you'll be like, oh, it's up here in my head. Please, 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 please don't say it out of my mouth. Is that you? I don't know. It's definitely me. I mean, this week, for example, we've had um, some VIPs visiting us at work. So these are like my boss's 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 boss has been here or something. And they've been sort of giving us presentations as a team. So we've been sat in the room for a long time um, listening to, to sort of their, their presentations. And they can spend, I don't know, two hours at a time talking about a single topic. And then it comes to that point in every presentation where they say, have you got any questions? And then there's always that one person. There's always that one person who, they ask this question, you're like, where have you been for the last two hours that you can ask that question? It's literally all he's talked about for two hours. Why are you asking this? And they always start, don't they? Hey, has anyone got any questions? Remember, there's no such thing as a stupid question. And I'm like, yeah, but there are stupid people. Which is not what I said on Wednesday. So... Why, when we know what the right thing to say is, is it so hard for us not to say the wrong thing? Well, I think it will always feel hard. It will always feel like an uphill struggle because, as with a lot of other things in life, we are focusing on the output. We're focusing on the wrong thing. We're trying to affect the fruit without addressing the root. You see, verbal negativity is often a symptom of something deeper. Now, I'm not talking about when you have a bad day. Like we all have bad days. And maybe you're one of those people, when you have a bad day, we shouldn't come within 50 feet of you. Like You can just try and say something nice to you, and you'll, you'll bite their head off. I mean, maybe that's you. I'm not really a head biter, but I'm, I can cut people down quite bad. And I don't feel good about it. People say things to me. They're trying to be nice. They're trying to make chit-chat. And I can just be a bit cutting when I'm having a bad day. I, I'm not proud of that. But I'm not talking about the bad day, because we all have times where we react in a way that we wish we hadn't. I'm talking about when there is an obvious and sustained pattern of negativity in what we say, then we must look deeper at the cause. Because the words we say are just the fruit, and we need to look at the root. We read earlier from Luke 6, but... I just want to draw our attention to a couple of verses prior to where we started today's message. 
where Jesus is addressing a large crowd of his followers. And just watch what he says is the root of our words. Luke 6, verse 45 says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I want to preach today on living heart to mouth. Because here we see Jesus making a clear connection between two things. What's stored up in your heart and what comes out of your mouth. So what we hear on the outside is simply an overflow of what's going on on the inside. So if there's bitterness on the inside, then it'll be bitterness that people hear when we speak. If we're excited about something, people will hear excitement when we speak to them. If we're continually disappointed in life, then we will express disappointment to others. If our heart is full of insecurity, then we will look for validation from others in everything we say. And if our heart is filled with anger, we will be angry at the world. And it's not because we mean to. It's just because hurt people hurt people. People who are hurting often hurt other people. And it's not their fault. It's just that what's going on in the heart must come out of their mouth. And so, if we are truly interested in the output, we absolutely must invest in the input. We need to be curators of what's going on in here. We need to be stewards of our hearts. It says in Proverbs chapter 4, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do. Another translation says, for it is the wellspring of life. We have to look after our hearts. We have to look after our souls. But how? What can we do? In the time we've got left, I just want to share with you three things that I believe will help us guard our hearts. The first thing is this. There's, there's no doubting that that words can be used as weapons. I mean, even when we don't mean to, we, we can hurt people with our words. I'm sure there isn't a single person here who at some point in their life hasn't been hurt by something that has been said to them, by something they've heard that's been said about them when they weren't around, or by something that has been said over them. But the thing is, when this happens, what can happen is, is not only do we get hurt, but the words start to to stick to us. So they don't just sting in the moment, but they will stick in our memory. Little things like, you're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not experienced enough. You are too old. You're too young. You're not creative. You're a dreamer. You can't get anything done. You are a mistake. And whether these words were deliberately designed to hurt us or whether they were just a moment of insensitivity on behalf of the person that said them, it doesn't matter. They can start to stick with us and they can start to stick to us. 
So they can start to become labels that attach themselves to our lives. And then when we, when we think about them, we might remember them differently. So what started out as a, as a you are, blank, when we remember it, we say, I am, blank. I am stupid. I am ugly. I am useless. I am worthless. I'm just a daydreamer. I am unwanted. I am, I am, I am. Now, I don't know what goes in that blank for you that deep down in your heart you know isn't healthy. But what I do know is this. The only I am that should have a say in your life is the I am. He is Jesus. He created you. You know, the only labels that ever matter are the ones that are placed there by the manufacturer. So he created you. He redeemed you. And because of the work that he's done on the cross for you, these are some of the labels you can attach to your life. I am a new creation. I am a child of the Most High God. I am created in the image and likeness of him. I am loved beyond measure. I am chosen. I am wanted. I am valued. And I am his. See, if we start to live our lives by the words that Jesus has spoken over us, then sure, the words that people say to us, they might hurt us, but they no longer have to hold us. You know, they might cut you, but they don't have to have any control in your life. And they might dent you, but they do not have to define you. See, my definition comes from my Savior, my source, and my Creator. Where does your definition come from? Who are you allowing to define you with the words they've spoken into your life? If you're taking notes, you can write this one down. It's only the words that we've held on to that can ever hold on to us. It's only the words that we've held on to that can ever hold on to us. And for some people, it's time to let it go. Those three words, they're so easy for me to say, but I appreciate it can be so hard. And it's not like you haven't tried before. You might have tried a hundred times to let these go, but it's so hard to let go what's been said over you. But some, sooner or later, you've got to say, enough is enough. What held me before isn't going to hold me, hold me going forward. And I don't want it to define me any longer. You need to put down those words and pick up the words of Jesus. We need to be people who are willing to let things go and not keep a closed hand around the words. And we need to be people who continually learn to live with an open hand. And that's my first point. We've got to keep an open hand. However, one thing we've got to be mindful of is that we don't, we don't swing the other way. We're always in danger of this, swinging from one extreme to another. So I don't know if you've met people like this, that nothing you say will stick with them. Like, I'm not talking about hurtful things now. I'm talking about helpful things. So you literally have to beat a blessing into these people. Right? And even then, they're going to make it hard work for you. Like, you go to encourage them, and they will pass it off as flattery. 
Yeah? Or you can spend ages talking to them about something they've done really well, and rather than hear the compliment in everything you've said, they will hear the criticism in what you haven't said. They assume the worst in everything you say. And sooner or later, they move from being skeptical to being cynical. At which point, they don't need a guard for their heart anymore because they've closed it off altogether. And we need to be careful that we don't misinterpret this instruction to guard our hearts as a reason to close our hearts. And this is very natural. In many regards, it's, it's one of the most natural things we can do. It's, it's a defense mechanism. So maybe we've been hurt a few too many times. Maybe the words people have said have hurt us so much that we started to become sort of calloused, or maybe we started to become numb. We don't feel it anymore. We literally shut ourselves off, and we don't hear anything. And there's something in that, because you can't hurt me if I can't hear you. And on the surface, we've solved the problem. Because a heart that doesn't even have a gate has no need for a guard. So we've walled ourselves in from the world around us, and it feels like the ultimate safety. It's a lockdown. It's like a panic room. We've all seen those movies about panic rooms. They normally end really badly, so that's a bit of a hint of where I'm going with this, but maybe there's some sort of armed robbery, or there's some sort of revolt in some dystopian society, or is it like a zombie apocalypse? But somehow these people, they end up in this room. It's normally deep underground, has one way in, one way out, and that way is protected so well. It's like this reinforced three-foot-long door. It's got bars through it. It's got technology all around it, and they can sit there in safety. You know the ones? Normally ends terribly. You see, the thing is... What starts off as a panic room can quickly become prison. What starts off as a panic room can quickly become a prison. Because it's no longer just a barrier to the bad things getting at you, it's also a barrier to the good things getting at you. And here's the thing. The same thing that protects you from enduring the curse can prevent you from enjoying the blessing. The same thing that prevents you from enduring the curse will also prevent you from enjoying the blessing. So sure, nothing bad can get to you, but neither can anything good. Nothing can get in, nothing can get out. And then what happens is, because nothing's getting in, the good or the bad, we can start to, to, to feel devoid of anything at all in our hearts. And the very thing that helped you escape has now left you feeling empty. And that's a dangerous place because it doesn't just affect us, it affects everybody around us. We read already, didn't we, in Luke 6, that for the, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, or what if the heart is full of nothing? Well, quite simply this, our words start to sound empty. And we can't be a positive influence for other people. Once the barriers are up, nothing comes in, but also nothing gets out. We've got to keep an open heart. The heart is the wellspring of life. And we simply cannot afford for it to become hardened. We cannot afford for it to become closed. It affects everything. It affects the way we see ourselves. It affects the way we interact with those around us. 
and it can also affect the way in which we view God. So we can start to find ourselves, if we go into this spiral of self-defensive cynicism, getting to the point where we limit the expectation of what God can do in our lives. We're so cynical that we don't expect God to move at all. So we, we can say in our heads, sure, we believe that God's a God who can work in power in people's lives, and then we go and live our life like we don't expect him to show up ever. And so we can believe that he's the God that can provide, but not that he's the God that will provide for me. Or he's the God that speaks, but not the God that speaks to me. And the more closed our hearts become, and we're no longer receiving those life-giving words, the words of Jesus, the more closed our minds become to seeing God act in our life. And it's not that we doubt God's power to work in other people's lives. We just doubt his desire to work in ours. And here's the problem. I've preached on this before. Our expectation can be the thing that starts to limit our experience. And this is my final point, and I'm going to close with this. We need to keep an open mind. See, there's another time when Jesus makes a link between what comes out of our mouth and what's in our heart, and that's in the book of Mark. Now, in the book of Mark, we find Jesus walking with his disciples to Jerusalem, and it's a long journey, so, so the guy gets hungry. I mean, that's the beauty of having a God that's sort of in human form. He has the same problems as us. So he's on this journey, and the guy feels a bit peckish, and he sees a tree. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to go and get me some fruit from this tree. Jesus sees a fig tree, and he thinks, I want some figs. And so he goes up to this tree, and he finds that there's nothing on this tree but leaves. The Bible actually says, because it wasn't the season for figs. So we might think in that, oh, well, maybe Jesus is actually being a little bit unreasonable here, expecting there to be fruit on this tree. But then I thought, oh, actually, wait a minute. Maybe often in life we use the excuse of, oh, it's not the right season to not be bearing fruit in our lives. But regardless of what you think about that, he says to this tree, he's kind of annoyed. He said, you will never bear fruit again. And he, he curses this tree. He curses the tree. And I don't want to be heretical, but this is like, this isn't Jesus' most pastoral day. Because he goes from here, having like been so annoyed at a tree that he curses it, he goes straight to Jerusalem and he starts turning over tables and driving out the tax collectors and driving out the merchants. He's an angry man today. But it's all right because he sleeps on it. And he and his disciples the next day are traveling back the way they came. And they go past this tree. And this is where we pick up the story in Mark chapter 20. No, Mark chapter 11, verse 20. It says, In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Jesus is like, well, well, yeah. My words have power. I know that. Don't you know that? But he's gracious, so he replies and says, have faith in God. He says to Peter, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt it in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, 
it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Did you see the link? He said, if anybody says and does not doubt it in their heart, it will be done for them. Those last two words are crucially important. For them. I'm going to be real with you today because this is something that, that I struggle with quite often. And it's just as I've been reading this, I've been like, maybe this is the reason. So when I pray, I often pray to God for His help so that I can do something for Him. So I'll pray and I'll be like, yeah, I'm going to do this thing, God. Give me the strength to do this thing for you. Or I'll pray, oh God, please give me the wisdom to know the right thing to do for you. And if I'm honest, the doubt creeps into my prayer. I can't say I pray and don't have any doubt in my heart. But I'm wondering, maybe the reason that there's doubt in my heart when I pray is because the emphasis on the person who's going to get the job done is wrong. So I'm praying about me. I'm praying about something that I'm going to do rather than praying about what's something that God can do for me and through me. And you see, when we switch the focus, things start to change. Now, this is perfectly natural and perfectly, like it kind of happens all the time. It's an easy trap, particularly in this Western culture where, if we're honest, we are quite egocentric. You know, we often feel that the universe revolves around us. But the truth is, we are not the center of the universe or God's plan. We are not even at the center of God's plan for our lives. He is at the center of His plan for your life. He is at the center of His plan for your life. And when we realize this, we can pray completely differently. Because there no longer has to be doubt because it's not me who's going to get the job done. It's God who's going to get the job done. So rather than thinking about, hey, I've got my grandmaster plan. I'm master of my own destiny. I know what I'm going to do. Hey, God, do you fancy coming along rubber stamping this thing? Maybe coming along and adding a little bit of your supernatural to make my life a little bit easier. Instead of that, I'm going to God saying, hey, what's your plan? What are you going to do? How do I fit into what you want to do? And I can pray completely differently. See, I'm no longer doubting because when I doubt, I'm praying because I'm limited. I have doubt that I'm going to be able to do the work for Him because I have flaws. But when I'm praying about what He can do for me and through me, I'm praying to a God who is limitless. I'm praying to a God who has no failings, who has all power and all authority under heaven and earth has been given to him. I can pray with no doubt in my heart because I know he's going to get the job done. Do you see? It's about a reversal of mindset. And when he answers the prayer, the glory won't be me. It won't be for me. The glory will be for him. And just as we close today, I just want to take a moment to encourage you. See, if you're on this journey of faith and and at whatever stage that is, and disappointment has come your way, and maybe negative negative words over your life have, have led to sort of a negative thinking, and it started to diminish your ability to believe, 
to believe that God wants to bless you, to believe that he has a plan for you, not just a plan for everyone else around you, but a plan for your life, a plan to prosper you, a plan to give you a hope and a future, to believe that he's not only the one that authored your faith, but he's the one who promises to perfect that very same faith. To believe that he who started that good work in you is the same one who's going to be faithful to see it through to completion. We're going to sing a, great, a song of worship again in a minute. Why don't you guys all jump to your feet? Because at the moment, it's time for some of us to take a step. It's time for some of us to choose to believe again. To refuel our faith. To throw off the spirit of cynicism and to break out of that prison of pessimism. To believe that God can do what he has promised to do in your life. To open our hearts and receive the words of Jesus for us. And the words of life that are being spoken to by other people over your life. To no longer be closed hearted, but to open it up. Let it be filled with the words of Jesus so that you can speak them out over everybody else in your life. You can be a source of positivity in other people today. That can be a commitment you make. Or maybe you have been defined for too long by the words that people have spoken over you. That no matter how much you try and put them down, you can't help it. And they are weighing you down. They are heavy. The burden is huge. And today you're saying enough is enough is enough. I want to be free. Well, I'll tell you today you can because he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Decide today and remember that only the, the only words that can have a hold on you as long as you have a hold on them. And I'm not saying it's going to make what people said to you any less hurtful, but you can decide this is not going to define me any longer. Come on, I'm telling you, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Come on, let's worship like we believe that.